Thank you very much, Kevin. Um, uh, good afternoon, everybody. First of all, I'd like to apologise to all of you who are expecting Emer O'Kelly. I'm sure I'm a big disappointment, but I'll do my best. And um, I believe, for those of you who didn't realise I'm not Emer O'Kelly, there is a little slip in that beautifully produced book with my name and CV on it. And I think the last time I was on a little slip in an Abbey programme was during the World Cup in 1990, when I went on for Breedney Njachtan in the Chakron, Gary Hines' Chakron, because sadly her, her dad passed away. So I'm a slip again. <laughs> <So> <laughs> anyway, um, I didn't have a huge amount to prepare for this, but uh, this is what I've come up with. First of all, over the past years, when I was working, say, as artistic director of Calypso, there were works which, as Kevin said, uh, would have been about uh, looking at how the past bleeds into the present. And one of those which I remember uh, very, very warmly was Donal O'Kelly's Operation Easter, which we put on in Kilmainham Jail. And what was kind of, I suppose, different about that was that we tried to start it in present-day Ireland. That was 1996, so it was the 90th anniversary of the, the Easter Rising. And if we, we decided to start it quite deliberately in Moore Street, because that is, of course, where, they, where they, the leaders actually... What's the word? <laughs> Surrender, that's the word. <laughs> and anyway, um, but in 1996, of course, Moore Street was such a different street. And it was, you know, full of people from new communities. And we reflected that in our cast as well, because we had um, a Nigerian and a Kosovar actor in our production, both of whom were living in Dublin at the time, and are still living in Dublin. So that was Operation Easter. That was very exciting for me, trying to look at 1916 through the lens of 1996 and of a changed country. Another production uh, that I was involved in for Storytellers Theatre Company was called When the Wall Came Down, because I'm not just interested in Irish history. I'm, in, I'm interested in European, in world history. So we were, I worked there with a writer called Renata Ahrens Kramer, who lives most of the year in Ireland. And um, she wanted to write a story about what happened in Berlin after the wall came down. And it was a story about forced adoptions in Germany, in East Germany, and what happened when the wall came down, when people suddenly discovered that actually my parents aren't my parents. And it was about a woman who'd been deported to the West, uh, West Germany, coming back to try and find her child, and informing this child for the first time at the age of 18 that actually your mother is not your mother. So it was, it was an incredibly emotional journey um, the whole thing, but also we used footage from after the war because Renata's mother had herself been in Berlin after the war and we used actual footage of the rebuilding of Berlin very often by the women. So it was kind of fascinating, that whole thing, and we brought the show to Berlin, which was amazing, and the show was translated, which is kind of odd, but it was translated from, Ger from English into German as a result of our visit. So that was kind of exciting. Um, the third play I would remember uh, by a playwright I just have such huge respect for was Master Harold and the Boys, which of course is set during apartheid and it, um, it's a coming of age piece about a young boy called Hallie who has 
two role models, his white bigoted South African father and a black servant that works in their coffee shop called Sam, who is, an incre who, who is actually his mentor. Again, that was a real learning experience for all of us. I found out so much about South Africa. I went to South Africa um, in the course of the research for it and I found it an extraordinary experience. And um, there's an amazing speech in it because I'm sure an awful lot of you know the play, but just in case you don't, one of the, the, the big um, metaphors in the play is ballroom dancing. And you have these two black South African men ballroom dancing with each other. And Sam gives this wonderful speech about the world, that the problem with the world is if only they could learn how to ballroom dance, you could move around together. Russia and America could move around together without bumping into each other. So it's just fantastic. If you don't know it, I would advise you to read it or just whatever. Anyway, what I really want to talk to you about today is the companies I've mentioned, Calypso no longer exists, storytellers no longer exist. Like a lot of the small companies, they're now gone. So what does an artist do in this day and age if you have an idea, if there's something you want to interrogate from the past that has a big impact on our present and on our future, what do you do? Well, I can only speak for myself and I can tell you what I did. You've heard from two artists here about how they went about it. There is a project that's burning me up and has been for over a year now, probably longer, and that is to do with World War I. And it is to find a place in our history for those Irish men and Irish women who took part in that world war and to do that as an artist. I've been reading, I mean, I suppose, like everybody else, I cried my way through Pat Barker's Regeneration Trilogy. Um, I loved Sebastian Barry's A Long, Long Way. I've just made my way through Beauty and the Sorrow by Peter Englund, which is just extraordinary. It's like it takes 20 people from different, uh, different parts of the world I mean, you forget that the First World War was fought in Africa as well. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's, it's extraordinary. And all these people who kept memoirs from different countries, from completely different backgrounds, and it just goes through the war week by week, year by year, and you get an insight into these people. So I also read Pat McGinley, the wonderful Pat McGinley, whose writing is extraordinary, from Glenties in County Donegal. And I, I discovered a man called Edward Rowe. If anybody's interested in the First World War, he's written a book called Diary of an Old Contemptible. He was a man from Westmeath who joined the British Army in 1905, went off to India and South Africa, came back, tried to settle down, couldn't kind of hack it with people talking about seed potatoes and, and chickens and the, and the price of Hereford cows, and decided to re-enlist in 1914, went right through the war, all the way from Mons to Baghdad. And he writes so brilliantly. And this is a young man who would never gone beyond primary school, of course, but it's extraordinary. And it's kept in Preston Museum, Military Museum. I had to go there to see the original. Anyway, all that, all that is by way of research. You can tell I love research and I'm completely immersed in it. But I came across a story at home here in Dublin of a woman called Monica Roberts from Still Oregon. And when war broke out in 1914, she wanted to do her bit. She wasn't going to be um, a nurse or a VAD, and indeed lots of Irish women did that, but she wasn't cut out for that. So what she decided to do was form the Band of Helpers to the Soldiers, which is a lovely kind of old-fashioned name. And she decided that she would write to as many soldiers 
just the ordinary men. She wanted to write mainly to privates and sergeants, to the, the non-commissioned people as opposed to officers. So she decided she would write to the Dublin Fusiliers and also to some people in the Royal Flying, Royal Flying Corps. So what I've done is I've read over 200 of the letters she wrote and she sent... Oh my goodness, at least she received, not, not the, sorry, not the letters she wrote, the letters that she received, and also the postcards she received from World War I. So what you have is quite extraordinary. It is the letters, not that historians, it's not, it's not a book about what happened, it's people writing and saying, oh, we're very busy at the moment, and you look at the date and you go, oh, that was the psalm. Or there's somebody writing on, on um, saying, I've just come back from Dublin, in, say in, in, um, in May, and saying the city was in ruins. I couldn't come out to visit you in Stillorgan. Like, just amazing stuff. But they're writing from the thick of the action. They're writing from the trenches. They're writing from billets. They're not writing great prose. They're not going to, they weren't, they're not the people you'll have, their memoirs will be published, but they're people whose voices have been silenced or just have never been heard. And I find it incredibly exciting. So what I'm hoping to do is to take those letters as a basis for a show and give a voice to those people who joined the British Army because whatever reasons, they were living in tenements, they had no jobs, who joined because they, for ideological reasons, because people did believe in ideologies then. People did believe in God. They were incredibly religious, a lot of them. They believed in their country. They believed in the rights of small nations. It, it's like they joined for so many different reasons. Some people, of course, just joined because they needed to economically. Um, there's extraordinary stories there. There's Two of the writers are from North King Street, which is around the corner from where I live. And one of them was writing home from the front, asking Monica if she could find out what had happened after Lindenhall Street Barracks had been burnt down by the rebels during Easter week, because he was worried about his family. So you're out at the front, you're fighting in a British uniform, and you're afraid that there'd be reprisals from the British Army on your family in North King Street, which of course there were reprisals, 13 people were killed. So there's all those kind of complexities. It's not straightforward. I grew up knowing all about 1916, knowing all about the rebellion. I was in love with John McDermott because I thought he was the best looking of them. I mean, I've seen more pictures of Patrick Pierce um, in profile, I suppose, than I've seen of anybody else in my life. And that's what I grew up, and I really respect those. I really respect the leaders from 1916, but I never knew. Nobody told me about the 200,000 plus Irishmen and women who voluntarily went out to fight because they believed in something. And nobody told me what happened to them. Nobody told me about the people who died. Nobody told me about the people who, who came back shell-shocked or who came back without limbs or without half their faces. I just didn't know about that. And yet I love history. I loved history at school. I did it right up to my leaving cert. But I never heard the inside story of those people. And their stories deserve to be told. So that is my ambition. I want those stories to be told. I also want it to be told 
but very much because I'm an artist, because how did Monica afford to send, constantly send cigarettes, razors, soap, socks, mufflers? How did she afford to do that? First of all, she set up this little band of people had to pay threepence to join, and then they would pay a little, a little amount if they could every month, or else they would send her things that could be sent out. She would tell them what to send out. But the second thing she did was they put on concerts. They sang songs. They played the piano, they played the violin. People, there were elocutionists who would recite poems. And of course, meanwhile, out at the front, there were concert parties doing the very same. So that's the other thing that fires my imagination. I want to use the music. I want to use the actual music that they would have used and just sort of see how, how that worked. I mean, there's a fantastic song, I'm sure some of you know it from, um, Oh, what a lovely war. And I'm sure you think I'm just going to burst into song now, but I'm not. But it's, um, it's kind of fantastic because it was a recruiting song. Um, we don't want to lose you, but we think you ought to go. I mean, no pressure there, you know. <laughs> so there's just, just amazing music. Um, just to give you a sample of, of one person, there was a man called Edward Mordaunt. He was, he was born in Upper, Upper Rutland Street in a tenement. At the age of 15, he was living in a boy's home in Abbey Street, and he was a street trader selling matches. He enlisted at the age of 16 in 1911, went off to India and France, came back in September 14, had a toe removed, uh, went out to the front, went all through the war, and, and, and he had this fantastic thing at the end of all his letters and cards. He wrote a 37 letters, and at the end of every letter he goes, but are we downhearted? No. Are we going to win? Yes. And I never knew. I thought, this is fantastic. This is his motto, or this is the Fusilier's motto. There's two songs with that in the chorus, and they're kind of fantastic songs. Um, he talked about the rats, he talked about the lice, the lice that would eat you while you were alive, and the rats that would eat you if you were dead. He talked about taking the bodies, trying to get the bodies into the trenches, because the rats would eat them otherwise. Um, he, he's just extraordinary. He, he, he wrote and asked her for gloves, because he was going on a bomb a bomb throwing course and that would be very handy and you can see it in the Irish Times Monica is there and she's asking people for old gloves if they'd send them to her they played snakes and ladders they played cards he writes and he asks her for house do you know what house is bingo to send out bingo cards like it's just such an insight to their ordinary lives and, and deaths in the trenches and of course you're reading somebody's letters and then suddenly they disappear and you look you look up the records and you find out died on the 1st of July 1916 so what happened the first day of the psalm you know, so you kind of, because they're not allowed to say where they are, so you get somewhere in France is written at the top of the letter, or trenches, or the front, or billets. But these letters, they're just something we deserve access to. It's part of our history, and I have every intention of, of finding a way to do that. Thank you. Thank you.